The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. You have a copy of God's Word with you. Would you join me? Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. This morning we will give attention to verses 12 and 13. We'll start reading in verse 5 and read down to verse 19. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, is those, who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? But we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Well, as we've walked now for a number of months through the book of Hebrews, we see that Just as we sang, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Writer of Hebrews begins by saying Jesus is the better word. It's the better revelation given to us. He's better than the angels. Chapter 3, he's better than Moses. Jesus is better than Moses. And uses this analogy of a house. And that Moses is the servant in the house, but Jesus is the son over the house. That's how much better Jesus is. Jesus is the builder of the house. He is the creator of of Moses, and Moses is his servant. That's how much greater Jesus is than even Moses. This would have carried a lot of weight. This is a letter written to Jewish believers. We don't know the author. We don't know the clear date. We don't know the clear you know, city or area that it was, it was written to, but we do know it was written to Hebrew people, to Jewish believers and non-believers. And Moses would have been the most important 
all Old Testament saints, the one to whom the law was given. And so Jesus is better than Moses. That's the writer's point here in the beginning of chapter 3. And then, as his mind is on Moses, he cautions us not to be like the Israelites in the days of Moses, who, because of the hardness of their hearts, turned away from God. That God was speaking through Moses to His people, and yet His people turned away from the Word of the Lord. And what God is doing today is He is speaking to us through His Son, who's even greater than Moses, better than Moses. And His call to us is to not turn away. Do not fall away. Don't fall away like the Israelites did in the wilderness. They never made it to the promised land. They died there, not receiving the promised Blessings of God, the the blessing of rest, but they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness and they died there because of their disobedience, because the hardness of their heart, because they fell away, no longer trusting in the word of God. That is the, the warning of the whole book of Hebrews. Don't fall away. Don't turn back. The Israelites, they wanted to turn back. They kept saying over and over again, it'd be better for us just to go back to is to Egypt. And be in bondage there. The writer of Hebrews is writing these, these Jewish believers who are in danger of turning back into the system of Judaism, which is a system of bondage, saying, Don't turn back. Trust the Lord. Trust the Lord. Trust his promises. See the glory of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Don't turn away. Don't fall away because of the hardness of your heart. This is a warning to those who know the gospel. It's a warning to those who've heard the words of God. Who have heard the gospel and received the gospel, at least intellectually, as true. But are now in danger of falling back into the old ways. And church, the reality is that we cannot escape as we come to these verses. Is that we are in the same danger, the danger to fall back because of a love of sin or a fear of persecution or whatever it may be, we've not committed ourselves to the truth that we know is real. The Jews that had heard the gospel and received it as true, but are now in danger of falling back into their old ways, a system of bondage that is not the gospel. We're in the same danger. Our hearts are desperately wicked as we see in these verses today. But there are loads of things that are looking to pull us away from a firm trust in the Lord, a, a firm belief in the gospel. It could be ridicule, it could be suffering, it could be temptations, it could be trials. It could be an ever-changing social morality. The whole host of things that look to pull us away. And 
So we started last week looking in these verses as the writer of Hebrews offered for us this example of the Israelites in the wilderness. Don't be like them. That was last week, the example. This week comes in verses 12 and 13 as we see an exhortation for us, an exhortation or an encouragement. And then next week we'll finish up chapter 3 together as we look at this explanation, this explanation. But for this morning, we're in verses 12 and 13, which is the exhortation or the encouragement. Look with me in verse 12. Take care, brothers. Take care, brothers. These brothers are these ethnic Jewish believers. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. What the writer is saying is this is the heart of the Israelites. They wanted the gifts with no real interest in the giver. They wanted the blessings of God but without any real life-changing belief in God. They had heard the word of God through Moses, but inwardly they fell away in their hearts. This is what you see in these texts. Look at at God's emphasis on the heart. Today, if you hear His voice, verse 8, do not harden your hearts. In the wilderness. Verse 10, therefore I was provoked with this generation and said, they always go astray in their hearts. Verse 12, then because of this example, take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Heart, God cares about our hearts. About our hearts. The emphasis here isn't just on belief, is it? It's not just on what you know. It's not just on what you've given some intellectual assent to understand. Yes, I understand the truths of these things. No, the issue is what is happening in your heart? What's going on in your heart? Are the words that you've heard, have they taken root and developed fruit, fruit of obedience and trust in your heart? your heart. The writer says, take care. Take care. Be alert. Be active. Pay attention. Church, here's the reality. We cannot just simply go through the religious motions without any thought to what's happening in our hearts. So many people who come into church and go through their Christian life and They're in some sort of trance. Never stop to give consideration as to what's happening on the inside, what's taking place in their their hearts. They're not taking care. They're being careless. Writer of Hebrews says, take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart a heart that would lead you to fall away 
from the living God. And here's the reality. The reality is that sin wages a constant battle to deceive and harden the hearts of professing Christians. Sin wages a constant battle to deceive us in such a way that the, our hearts are hardened. And it does so against professing Christians. And if it succeeds, then a person slips into unbelief and falls away from the living God. Now, I use that language of professing Christians on purpose. These are people who have at some point made some level of profession to be a, a follower of Jesus. But if they're deceived by sin, if they're led astray an unbelieving heart, eventually for a whole host of reasons, and they fall away from the living God, the reality is that they were not real Christians. They were just professing Christians who for a time professed Christ but fall away. And their falling away shows that they didn't have a real salvation. Now, I told you last week as we started this, I wanted to take this section all together in one week, but that's not possible. I told you last week, you're going to have some questions as to um, this doctrine of eternal security or um, perseverance of the saints or sort of how we in Baptist circles call it, you know, once saved, always saved. Is the writer of Hebrews saying that we can lose our salvation? We're going to tackle that next week. I'll go ahead and tell you the answer is no. The evidence of real salvation is that you persevere to the end. You don't persevere to the end and you fall away, then you never truly believed. But the warning here, the exhortation, the encouragement here for us is to take care, to pay attention, to be active, to be alert, to be aware of what's happening on the inside of us. To make sure that there isn't in any of us an evil, unbelieving heart that would lead us to fall away. Because sin wages a constant battle. As I read that verse, my mind went to 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Guess what that is? Take care. Pay attention. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Seeking someone to devour. Resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Take care. Brother, pay attention. Sister. To make sure that there's not an evil, unbelieving heart. Later in the verse 13... The writer talks of the deceitfulness of sin, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is 
deceitful. There's a number of things that the Bible labels as deceitful. One is false teachers. False teachers who would lead us astray by deceit. This is Romans chapter 16. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve the Lord but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. So false teachers are labeled deceitful in God's Word. And so are worldly philosophies. Worldly philosophies. We're, we're being bombarded, it seems, more than ever by worldly philosophies, worldviews, ways of looking at the world and understanding things that are deceitful. This is Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. There's the word, but according, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. The counsel of the wicked is described as deceitful. Proverbs 12, 5, the thoughts of the righteous are just, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. But most worrisome above all of those things, the Bible goes on to say that our very hearts are deceitful. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately sick, who can understand it? Who can understand it? Are false false teachers deceitful? Yes. Yes. Are worldly, unbiblical philosophies looking to deceive us? Yes. Is the counsel of wicked people looking to deceive us? Absolutely. But most worrisome, our very own hearts, above all things, the Scripture says, our hearts are looking to deceive us. That's why the writer of Hebrews tells us to take care. To take care, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. So the question then is, how do we take care? We look at the example of the Israelites, how they fell in unbelief in the wilderness. If we come to the realization of our own deceitful heart, the battle of sin, the consequences that it brings, all of the ways we're looking to be deceived, The question then is, how can we take care? How can we pay attention? How can we be alert? And the answer that the writer of Hebrews gives us is, together. Verse 13, but exhort, but exhort. That's encourage, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. How do we take care? How do we stay alert? How do we pay attention? How do we discern what's happening in our heart? We do it together. We do it as we exhort one another 
every single day. Church, this is the necessity of the local church. This is what we are called to do. To daily encourage one another. This word exhort here is the same root Greek word that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, verse 16. Parakaleo, the, the one who comes alongside to help. Jesus says, I will send to you the helper, the one who is going to come alongside of you and help you This is the same word that the writer of Hebrews uses here when he tells us that we are to exhort, to encourage one another. The Holy Spirit is telling us to get alongside one another daily to help one another keep the faith because of the deceitfulness of sin. And if sin is left unaddressed in our hearts, If there is a fertile soil for it to grow, then the reality is we are in danger. And we need, I need, you need one another to help us root it out. Now when we read these verses, but exhort, encourage, come alongside of in order to help one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Does that sound only like a Sunday morning gathering? Does that sound like, yep, we do that, you know, one hour and 15 minutes together on a Sunday morning, once a week. Is that what that sounds like? Absolutely not. But how often is it that today professing Christians have reduced their call to come alongside one another to one hour and 15 minutes a week? I don't think that's what the writer of Hebrews had in mind. Now what the writer of Hebrews has in mind, what the Holy Spirit has in mind is a commitment one to another that is much deeper than that. What the writer of Hebrews, what the Holy Spirit has in mind is for His church, His building, the house that Jesus Christ is the Son over and the builder of, that it function as a family. Where our lives are laid open one to another. Where daily you help me keep the faith. And I help you. See, Christianity is not an individual endeavor. It's not. It is not. Man, it's just me and the Lord. I don't need the church. It's just me and the Lord. I can sit at home. I can read my Bible. I can pray. I I can play a worship song. I can sing along. I don't need the church. I can get all that at at home. It's just me and the Lord. You know what that is? That is a man or a woman who is in danger of falling away. That's what that is. 
because Christianity isn't an, an individual endeavor. Yeah, man, we go to church, we go every Sunday. We, we stream it on our TV. We watch it in our pajamas. You can search it, but you're never going to find it in this book. Does that sound like encouraging one another every day as long as it's called today? The means by which God intends to guard our salvation is the Christian community. If you are not engaged in a local church to the point where you are receiving daily encouragement, where you are daily being taught the Word of God from one another, daily being prayed for, daily being watched over. The reality from this text, the example given of the Israelites, the reality is that you are in danger. You're in danger. That is the implication of this text. If you come in and you close your heart off to your fellow brother and sister, and in your mind you think, I don't need them, you are being deceived by the sinfulness of your own heart. Guess what sin that is, brother? That sin is pride. Because you are not strong enough. I am not strong enough. You are not aware of your own sin enough. I am not aware of my own sin enough. I need my fellow brother's help. The writer of Hebrews will go on to say in Hebrews chapter 10, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. But let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Hold fast your confession without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And part of your holding fast is your willingness to stir one another up for good works. Part of your holding fast is not neglecting to meet together. Part of your holding fast is to encourage one another. And then look what he says. All the more as you see the day, the end, the day that Christ comes, all the more as you see the, the day drawing near. Let me ask you a question. Are we closer to that day than they were when the writer of Hebrews wrote this? Well, sure. Of course, we don't know the day. We don't know the hour. But we do know we're closer. Because with every day, we get closer. Our commitment to one another should constantly be growing. Our willingness to open our lives to one another and to walk alongside of one another and to encourage one another to, to consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works should be ever-growing. Because the days get darker and the time grows shorter. Church, this is not just prayer. 
It's not just worship. It's not just practicing the sacraments. It's not just Bible reading. It's a daily encouragement from other believers that is appointed by God as the means for you to hold fast your confidence in the gospel all the way to the end of your life. Without it, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Yeah, I think a lot of our problem, why we just sort of glide through life, keep things to ourselves, we don't take the risk to, to open up and to live in Christian community, a lot of our problem is, is that we don't recognize that we are at war. We're at war. This is wartime. There is a battle being waged over our souls. Me and Alicia are, are watching back through Downton Abbey. Anybody, anybody ever watched Downton Abbey? It's a great show. We're in season two. World War One is upon them. I guess World War Two is upon them. And the what you see is that it takes everybody. It takes everybody to win this war. Everybody has a role to play. Whether you're the Lord of Downton Abbey or you're the cook in the kitchen, everybody has a part to play to support and encourage and help their fellow brothers and sisters out in this time, right? I mean, when it's wartime, you just, you do what it takes, you get together, you make it happen, you encourage one another. Man, we don't realize that we're at war. There's a war being waged in our hearts. There's a war going on in the spiritual realm. This isn't peacetime. And our greatest line of defense is one another. This makes me think of a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer lived and died during World War II. He was a German. He was killed. He was hanged in a concentration camp for his role in a plot to assassinate Hitler. He was a Lutheran pastor. He was one of the founders of what was known, came to be known as the Confessing Church. He died when he was 37. He was a professor, and he eventually became the head of an underground seminary during World War II to train pastors in Germany. And he wrote a, a book. He wrote a book about this time in his life called Life Together. Here's some of what he said. The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer. 
It is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. Among earnest Christians in the church today, there is a growing desire to meet together with other Christians in the rest periods of their work or common life under the word. Communal life is again being recognized by Christians today as the grace that it is, as the extraordinary, the roses and lilies of the Christian life. See, I don't think we view our time together as a grace, as extraordinary, as the beautiful, good, incomparable joy that it is. I don't think we view our life together that way. I think we treat it as something that we do if it just fits into our schedule. And if it doesn't, then oh well, I'll catch you next week. But this wasn't so for Bonhoeffer. It wasn't so for this underground church in Germany. Why? Because it was wartime. And there may not be a tomorrow, much less to see you next week. So every opportunity they had to live life together and to find in one another an encouragement to keep the faith. It was sweet. Our life together isn't meaningful because it isn't intense. It's comfortable. It isn't seen as a necessity. It's just an add-on to what we're already doing. He goes on to say, if somebody asks a Christian, where is your salvation, your righteousness? He can never point to himself. He points to the word of God in Jesus Christ, which assures him of salvation and righteousness. He is as alert as possible to this word because he daily hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He daily desires the redeeming word. But God has put this word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. When one person is struck by the word, he speaks it to others. God has willed that we should seek and find his living word in the witness of a brother, in the mouth of a man. Therefore, the Christian needs other Christians who speak God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and a proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ. The Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Our apathy towards our life together and the place of the church in our lives 
is one of, if not the greatest danger we face. Our greatest danger isn't the Democrats. Our greatest danger isn't the woke agenda. Our greatest danger is in our own hearts. It's a heart that is deceitfully wicked and a heart that is apathetic about living life together. And we don't take care, brothers, to encourage one another daily. You cannot come to these verses and ignore the repetition of the word today or daily. Just in chapter 3, verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, again in verse 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Verse 15, as it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Today, today, today. Christianity is a daily practice. What did Jesus describe the Christian life as? Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. We reduce the Christian life down to a prayer that we've prayed in an altar with a pastor one time when we were a kid. And a once, the, once a week that ends up being maybe, if we're super spiritual, three times out of the month, meeting together for an hour and 15 minutes. When God's Word describes the Christian life as a daily practice. And here's the idea. that you daily listen to God. That's, that's, that's been the theme, this listening to God, this reality that God still speaks. I know us, I know me, I know my heart. I know the stream of Christianity that I tend to run in. One that gets real nervous around the charismatics. One that's hesitant to say God still speaks because that's abused by charlatans who stand in the pulpit and say, I received a word of the Lord this week. But God still speaks every day. God speaks and He does so through His Word. That is the clear teaching of Hebrews. God speaks. Therefore, verse 7, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day that the testing in the wilderness. Again in verse 15, today if you hear His voice, God still speaks and He does so every day. He does so through His Son. Hebrews chapter 1, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things and through whom He also created the world. God is still speaking today and He's doing so through His Word. God speaks through His Word. This isn't a feeling. This isn't, oh, I got some goosebumps. 
This isn't, I'm not sure if that was just a thought or if that was God. No, you come, you open the pages, and God speaks. Every day. God is still speaking. He is still working through His Word daily. And if we are daily listening to God, if we're daily hearing His Word, we're daily taking it into our hearts, and we are daily hearing it from other believers, we're daily sharing what the Lord is teaching us to other believers, then guess what? Our hearts will never grow hard. If we are hearing His Word and doing so with the understanding that our responsibility is not just to listen for ourselves, but to exhort one another, then we keep the faith. And when we see disobedience in another, we speak the word. When we see laziness towards spiritual things, we speak the word. When we see sin, we speak the word. When we see coldness and apathy, we speak the word. When we see hardness of heart, we speak the word. When we see the neglecting of meeting together, we speak the word. Because long ago, many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. Today, if you hear the word of God, do not harden your hearts. But instead, take care, brothers to exhort one another in love daily. The means through which God intends to guard us for salvation is the Christian community. The question for you is, are you danger because you have in your hearts neglected the meeting together the daily encouragement of a life together with fellow believers Jesus would you help us see from your word the stark reality that we are in a battle, we are at war. We're at war with false teachers. We're at war with worldly philosophies. We're at war with the counsel of the wicked. Most worrisome. We are at war with our own deceitful hearts. And so we need your word. We need your word spoken. We need your word read. We need your word proclaimed.
we need your word from the mouth of our brothers, our sisters, to encourage and exhort us to stand firm and keep the faith. That's the exhortation. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.